Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling for our associate producer, McKenna Langley, and Leighton, of course, working behind the scenes. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll be joined by Topher Cram, National Account Manager at Stanley Security. We get our yearly update in terms of retail loss prevention from Topher. We'll talk about many things, including the big hot button topic in retail security at this time, organized retail crime. Is it a big issue? Is it not a big issue? We've seen conflicting news stories certainly about it. Retailers, of all people, certainly do think it is a big issue. But we'll talk about other things as well, including further adoption of technology by retailers and why, in some cases, this technology isn't quite ready for retailers as it pertains to loss prevention. In news, we'll talk a little farm and home retail with Tractor Supply, and we'll look ahead to an issue that affects nearly everyone in the retail landscape, potential card fee hikes and some lobbying against those as well. A quick reminder that you can check us out on social media at Retail Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. I had the delight to visit Central Kentucky, really called Eastern Kentucky, this past week. Sent along some pictures to Layton from the area, so you should be seeing those pop up on the Insta here in the next few weeks. So let's get into our news story. Again, rural and suburban retail, kind of the topic whenever you talk about Tractor Supply Company. They once again bested analyst estimates on their latest call. As far as their bottom line was concerned, analysts called for earnings of $1.40 per share. TSC notched adjusted numbers of $1.65 per share, which was nearly an 18% beat. And as we noted in a recent Looking Ahead segment, There seems to be real momentum towards increased spring planting outside for many in the U.S. And Tractor Supply Company, of course, provided us a look into early spring seasonal sales as well. Just for clarification, these numbers are for their first quarter running through March 26, 2022. So the results do, to some extent, include some of those early spring sales for the warmer portion of the United States, the southern portion of the United States, where... Tractor Supply has a footprint. Sales were once again robust across the board for Tractor Supply. Net sales were up 8.3%. The increase was due equally to new store locations and to comp increases. There was some concern about lapping last year's first quarter, which was excellent, and saw comp gains of 38.6%, due in part to, of course, lapping a partially pandemic-impacted quarter in 2020, but also due in part to those stimulus payments from last year's first quarter. And there was some concern internally that supply chain would negatively impact sales. It did, but just not to an extent that eroded the gains. Ticket for them grew 6.7%. Transaction count did decline just slightly. E-commerce saw double-digit growth again for their 39th consecutive quarter. Mobile app sales, by the way, now account for over 15% of their overall digital sales. We'll talk maybe as to why here in a second. Transaction count was said to decline due to the final two weeks of the quarter as they cycled stimulus-driven big-ticket sales from the last two weeks of last March. When taking a more careful look, let's say, at the comp splits, their CUE category for consumable, usable, and edible, that was a major driver in ticket gains. Impulse buys seeming to come through here. Also, some other categories. CUE sales growth was about 3x their overall sales growth rate. And dry dog food 
was called out as seeing over a 20% comp, and this is driven by their affiliate PetSense, whose comps were well above the company-wide comps as a whole. PetSense, of course, is the smaller footprint pet-specific stores the tractor supply took over some time ago. Winter seasonal was also strong at the beginning of the quarter, thanks to a bitterly cold January in some of the country, especially the upper Midwest. It's often cold in the upper Midwest in January, but this year it was even colder than usual. And those spring sales we talked about, well, those started off a bit slow in most of the country for this first quarter due to weather, but also some macro-level impacts. Macro-level impacts, of course, including inflation, but they did benefit significantly from inflationary impacts, at least on the top-line front. In some categories, they saw prices go up by about 10 percentage points. Another slightly negative note for tractor supply, inventory turns were actually down year-over-year for them. They were at 3.92 last year at the end of the first quarter. It's 3.6 this year, and those are on, by the way, an annualized basis, not a quarterly basis. Inventory values per store were up significantly, though some of this is due to the higher value per unit today versus last year, thanks to inflation. But also some can be credited to supply chain issues easing somewhat and an increase of those in stocks. Regarding spring, as we go back to the seasonal theme, as of today, 175 of Tractor Supply's stores have garden centers that are customer-ready for spring. This is in line with where they've been at in previous years, but they do want to reimagine how they're using their parking lots, which has always been a big topic of conversation for them. When you look at Tractor Supply on the real estate front, they're a company that's now demanding locations with greater egress from all sides, and also a lot that can easily transform with the seasons. So you're seeing them turn away from potential real estate developments where you might have a retaining wall on one side or where customers can't enter from all sides. They like the lot to be surrounding the store because it gives them that flexibility that they crave, particularly for seasonal sales. And there are some stores that are actually changing their layout from years past of their lot for spring seasonal. At these locations, seasonal sales are testing well so far, at least where weather conditions support that. They want to revamp their parking lot layout in about 15% of their locations by year's end. Really something we don't talk about enough in farm and home, but their layout of the parking lot is just as important as the layout inside the store because obviously you've got implements, you've got fencing. During spring, of course, you've got plants, you've got trees and so forth out there. So the layout of the lot, very important to what Tractor Supply Company does, as well as all the other farm and home retailers out there. In the near future, supply chain and construction constraints, by the way, are impacting their opening of new stores. We talked about some of their new real estate projects. The company noted that some of their first quarter openings that were scheduled have been delayed due to pandemic effects and construction delays. Anyone who has undertaken a real estate construction project of late can speak to the difficulty involved with subcontractor delays and such. You got a shortage of workers there, a glut of desired projects from many retailers throughout the country, and this has created a backlog for many retailers throughout most of the industry, maybe a little bit less so for smaller square footprint stores like Dollar General and Dollar Tree, many of whom have dedicated contractors because of the briskness of their expansion. But as far as tractor supply is concerned, they still expect to open 75 to 80 new 
full-line TSC stores in 2022. The number of PetSense stores, despite the fact that they're comping out pretty well, it's expected to remain relatively unchanged. An interesting dynamic they talked about on the call in terms of something that's developed during the pandemic, that their customer base is skewing younger. And so we transition here to talk about exactly why those app-based sales might be making up a higher proportion of digital sales. But when you look at their customer base as a whole versus, say, 2019, it is skewing younger. And again, something we talked about a few weeks ago regarding people being more bullish about growing their own, in part because they have homes in which they can do so. Tractor Supply Company is seeing a benefit from an outflow away from urban areas and into suburbs and rural areas. And as such, there are yards to keep and gardens to tend. And to an increasing degree, it's millennials picking this up. Macro factors obviously in play here. Housing costs in larger cities, driving people to the suburbs or driving people to rural areas, especially as Many continue to work from home or at least work from home for part of the week. And also stability of rural areas have been noted by people that are moving to those places. And I'll give you one example. I was in a smaller town in Wisconsin several weeks ago. And one thing city leaders there told me was that people were moving there from the larger cities because they wanted a little bit more peace and quiet. They wanted the stability that they felt like the smaller cities could bring, and they wanted property on which they could do things, whether that's outdoors things like ATV riding, whether that's having a garden during the course of the summer. So in any case, the millennial shoppers where Tractor Supply Company stores exist, they appear to have a high opinion of Tractor Supply, and the customer acquisition numbers during the pandemic seem to indicate that Millennial customers here at Tractor Supply are as willing to return as the older shopping group was willing to return pre-pandemic. And one example in specific that not only they talked about on this earnings call, but that is something that is a big deal when you talk to employees in their stores is their Chick Days event. This is drawing more millennial shoppers as more people, again, they've got yards compared to urban living. And so they're taking on raising chickens for eggs in their backyard to meet the demand. The company is not only expanding offerings like more chicken coops, more chicken feed. By the way, chicken feed was also up in double digits in terms of comps over last year. But they're also offering new breeds because they know they have a millennial customer that is, in theory, doing significant research online, perhaps, before making these buying decisions. And so they're asking for very specific breeds or different breeds than maybe the standard bears would be asking for. Currently, as a whole, Tractor Supply Company's average yearly customer spend has increased to the point where now it's over $1,000 per customer per year. That's an all-time high for them. Of course, inflation has something to do with it, but this younger customer base also driving these numbers, and it suggests expenditures for these customers across multiple seasons as well. They're not just going in during the spring season and stocking up. They're hitting tractor supply across multiple different seasons. And something we didn't discuss on the show in February, but we should note here, they entered into a deal to acquire Orsulin stores, and that was announced back in mid-February. Orsulin is a chain based in Missouri with locations throughout the Midwest. In particular, they tend to have locations in smaller outposts than does tractor supply. 
although they do have stores in mid-sized markets too. But a good example of this, just throwing a dart at the dartboard, would be their store in Phillipsburg, Kansas. It's in a former Alco location, but that's a market of around two to 3,000 people, a little bit smaller than most tractor supply store markets. The deal, though, between Tractor Supply and Orschelin doesn't yet have FTC approval, and the company said in prepared remarks on the call that they're working with the FTC on the transaction in a collaborative manner. Timeline here is still unknown. They're hopeful for getting it done in the next few months, but because of their dealings with the FTC, they couldn't really expand too much further, and given the relatively diverse landscape in farm and home, you've got so many different chains. We've talked about it before on the show, but you go to different areas of the country, you might see a fleet farm, you might see an Atwoods, you might see a Big R. So many different brands out there. And although we are talking about two of the largest brands here between Tractor Supply and Orsalyn, you would kind of doubt that the FTC would have too many issues, but you never do know. And one note about that urban to rural migration. When I was in Kentucky this last week, I was in mostly rural areas and that's something I heard a lot about from city leaders in multiple different cities. They're seeing population gains during the course of the pandemic. A lot of the same reason. People want that peace and quiet. People want a piece of property. And people are more bullish about growing things on their own. And so that stands to benefit retailers like Tractor Supply that have a footprint in areas where Home Depot and Lowe's often do not. You can throw Menards into that equation as well. So that'll do it for our news segment here on the show. Coming up, again, we'll be joined by Topher Cram of Stanley Security. We'll get an update as far as what loss prevention and shrink looks like in retail in 2022. We'll talk about some of the hot-button issues surrounding those topics in retail for the coming year. And we'll talk about usage of technology and how that's helping certain retailers in terms of planning out their specific approach to loss prevention and shrink going forward. Each year on the podcast, we take a look at loss prevention, shrink, and security through the eyes of retailers, and 2022 is no different. Last year, we discussed with Stanley Security various topics, including retail security with a focus towards protecting retail associates. This year, we welcome Topher Cram, National Account Manager at Stanley Security, to provide an update for us on the topics of particular focus for retailers on the security front in 2022. Topher, welcome to the show. Welcome, Trent. Glad to be here. So I was wondering if you could give us kind of a reminder about how Stanley Security serves the retail sector and some of the different services that you provide to retailers there. Sure, Trent. So Stanley Security is a worldwide security provider. So if you have retail locations in the United States in a certain city or across the country or even around the world, Stanley can protect those assets through security systems, fire systems, access control, CCTV, integration of technology with all of those services. And we do have sales service installations around the world for them. Some of the important topics there regarding even fire protection, let's say, because a lot of people kind of forget that that is part of preventing retail shrink. But turning our attention to this year, a new Sensormatic Global Shrink Index report came out 
since we last discussed retail security on the show. And also Stanley Security released a report of their own, a 2022 industry trends report as well. And I'm wondering, from someone that deals with this on the day-to-day, what are some of the main themes regarding security or shrink prevention that really stand out in 2022? So a pretty obvious one is technology. And literally, trend in the near future, we're going to be walking through the world with real-time data paired against prior situations or events. They'll be analyzed to provide informed potential outcomes. Things like operational efficiencies, shrinkage, inventory, and everything will run the gamut. That, I would say, is probably the biggest theme coming out of that 2022 trends report. And so we talk about technology, obviously, being a huge aspect of things here coming up. What are some of the specific technologies that we're really seeing kind of enter into the field and could be a main player in the way that retailers protect themselves, their associates, and their assets over the next five years? Yeah. So obviously technology and cloud-based has got the buzz and has for at least 18 months and it's gaining momentum. A lot of that is driven, those technologies, by operations though to get more efficiency, either decrease losses or improve processes. And then security can be kind of ancillary benefit or beneficiary of some of that. So basic things that you have a Berg system, a security system, or you have a camera system, that's infrastructure, but it collects data. So technology in the retail sector, they're trying to leverage those traditional foundations in security and add AI. In other words, take that data that's coming into that CCTV system, send it to the cloud, analyze it, and then ship it back in forms of reports or notifications. So basically, AI is going to try to mimic human behavior, but just speed it up. So what would used to take us minutes or hours or weeks to crunch data or look for trends in security or trends in losses or things that happen on a retail floor, AI, by sending it to the cloud, you can do it so much faster. But the second part of that is then what are you going to do with that information? Because there's still going to be some people involved. Absolutely. So let's talk about what retailers do once they get that information. In your experience, in your time working with retailers, if they get information back from you know, AI-assistive technologies, cloud-based technology, that type of thing that maybe points to a particular trend running negatively as far as loss prevention. What are some common mechanisms that we're seeing them today enact to maybe stem off some of those losses? So the AI, let's walk through, let's say shoplifting, because that's kind of a large category. It's kind of a black and white one. We all know what it is. It's been around since the age of retail. So camera systems in the past, you'd have someone watch that cameras and just you have multiple cameras in a large big box retail store or grocery store, and they'd have to watch for potential shoplifters, actually see them caught in the act of putting something in their purse or in their pocket or down their pants or whatever, however they're going to steal it, and they walk out. The AI sending that to the cloud will accelerate that. In other words, will make it more efficient to say, these people over here in all these seven aisles aren't stealing, but this one here is. So boom, right there, you have efficiency. Now, what do they do with that data? Then it becomes down to local municipalities that govern what they're allowed to do. So you compare, Stanley looks at retailers across the world, right? So you have kind of three different areas. You have United States, where it's a more of a litigious society. So we can't really go out and approach someone and tell them on the floor, take that out of your bag. Whereas in Europe, they can do that. 
they don't have such a quasi litigious society or they're more open to it. They more follow government rules in Europe, where the United States, we more follow consumer rules. The third area would be Asia, let's say, where they have a very black and white approach to retail shrinkage. And they even go as far as compensating their employees or taking a bonus away or, or reducing their compensation if shrinkage occurs. So you have three different cultures or three different approaches to what happens when AI through the camera system detects a shoplifter. And let me throw one layer on top of that, Trent. So there's two technologies that are new. They're being tested in one's out of Japan, a company out of Japan, and one's out of Sweden or Switzerland, but it's over in Europe. And they are testing AI through camera systems for stopping shoplifters, or I shouldn't say stopping, detecting. So you can tell what the AI is doing is reading human behavior, fidgeting with the hands, looks on their face, how their eyes shift, all these patterns. And that builds over time. It's machine learning. And it's going to give that person in the retail store notification saying, hey, this person on aisle seven has all the tendencies of about to steal or shop. And again, depending where you are in the world, the type of retailer you have or the policies, the actions you take would be based on what is allowed or not allowed to approach that person or not approach them. And what we're seeing in the United States that with that AI is not totally available. It's not embraced completely in the United States because of that approach. But what retailers such as Home Depot and their CFO made this public, he wants to deal with this shrinkage, this type. Now, what they are doing is age-old loss prevention technique, which is approach a customer from a customer service standpoint, as opposed to what they do in Europe or Asia, which is approach them and say, hey, take it out of your bag. In the United States, they're approaching them and just treating them with customer service. Look them right in the eye and say, hey, how can I help you? But you never deal with the shrinkage because you don't want a lawsuit. So that's kind of three different approaches with that new technology and how the retailers we're seeing embrace it. So you bring up Home Depot, and on that subject, one thing Home Depot and many other retailers have been pretty vocal about is this topic of organized retail crime. And this is a hot-button topic currently. Most retailers, most real estate executives as well feel as though that this is something everyone should be taking a look at as it's on the rise. You get some news reports that maybe say it's not as well developed as what it is made out to be. Given your position kind of on the inside of this security view, I'm curious, what's the current scope of organized crime as it pertains to retail shrink? And as you mentioned, Home Depot's way of of kind of dealing with it in a customer service perspective, what are some retailers doing to try and mitigate this? So organized crime is a major issue, not just for shrinkage for Home Depot or other retailers. It's a problem in the United States. So there are a lot of headlines, Trent. I try to focus my data that I'm gathering or listening to, to be actual events of what have really happened. And so there's been a lot of hearsay about it. There was a case recently in the last, I don't know, it was 12 to 24 months that CBS was involved with, and so was FBI and Homeland Security, all public information. They caught a chain or an organized crime ring that had about 1,700 arrests. So that was real data and real situations. They've been going on for quite a while. It's real. Not every retailer gets hit with it. It's usually the target-rich environment. So you mentioned Home Depot because they have assets. So do other certain stores. Grocery stores are getting hit, even though you wouldn't think they have that high value. 
this we're talking about volumes in the hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of assets that have been stolen and then resold back on the black market or to retailers. So it is a billion dollar business. So we do need as a society to deal with it upfront and find solutions for it. Retailers obviously getting hit with the cost of this. So there's some preventative ways that are being recommended. One on the retail side, the resale of these goods, there's legislation that they're trying to enact. I don't know if they have or not, that really will require a lot more information when you sell things on the internet. So Tide, for instance, and tools were one that very high valuable assets that's easy to resell to a retailer or resell on the black market. They're trying to put things in place to mitigate you wanting to sell that type of merchandise on the internet and the black market because so much identity or your own customer information needs to be part of every transaction. Because if you're organized crime, you don't want to be identified. So that's one way they're trying to slow it down or put obstacles in their way. On the retail side where the actual transaction or actual stealing happens, these are very brazen people that come into a retail store and literally don't care if they get caught. Most of them, they have stated out of the CBS case, was these people came into the United States illegally and they were forced to do this activity. So they had a choice of one of three, they found out through the interviews, which is sex trafficking, drug running, or retail shrinkage or stealing, okay, shoplifting. And the retail shoplifting is the least evasive as a human being to do. So more of them are doing that. So that's why you're seeing a prevalence of this across the country. They're more brazen because they literally don't have a choice. Their families are held at hostage, if you will, and they'll do anything to get the goods stolen and back to their the company, if you will, or the organized crime ring. So even though they caught the ones at CBS, the 1,700 people, it was a long investigation, another one's going to pop up. So as retailers, what several big box retailers are doing is there's two things. One, they're locking up some of their higher value merchandise those expensive tools, some grocery store chains and big boxes are locking up makeup because that was a high value item. It seems strange, but that's what they're doing. The other thing they're doing is they're trying to approach those people they can identify or all customers with more people. The old fashioned customer service, like we talked about a few minutes ago, they don't want to be noticed or seen. So when you walk up to them as an associate, you walk up to them as a manager on the floor, that is, they've seen on camera, they sometimes will just meander around the store and then leave the store and go somewhere else. What you're trying to do is just shoo them out of your store best you can. So that's the net version of all this organized crime. It's a deep subject, and we do as a society need to take it seriously. And I appreciate you providing a little bit of color regarding that organized crime and those organized crime issues that are popping up. I'm curious, as you look throughout retail currently, what are some of the sectors seeing the highest shrink rates? You mentioned Home Depot, obviously. You've got power tools, you've got hardware, things that are very easy to remarket. What are some other retail sectors that might be seeing high rates of, say, shoplifting in the current climate? So in general shrinkage, Trent, it's an impossible thing to answer empirically. The accounting systems of the retailers, the big companies do keep track of shrinkage. They don't sure exactly where it comes from. They can see it increasing, but what we're doing as businesses with AI, retail businesses, is we're keeping better score. So if we're seeing shrinkage goes up, retailers going to look at, is it internal theft, external theft, or is it inventory? Or is it, you know, the lumber is marked as oak, but it should have been marked as plywood or something. 
So once you segment that out, then you say, which segment is of retail, as your question is, of, is going up more than others? What we're hearing, not empirically, but we're hearing is that the big boxes are getting hit harder. And this is the last year. The reason I think that is probably a true statement is they are having a change in focus. Okay, I'll use Home Depot since their CFO made the statement. They focused on safety, not security, in the last two years. Two, the criminal justice system has made some changes that made it a little bit more easy to steal, if you will. And so shoplifting, again, throwing organized crime is why probably we're seeing shrinkage in retail, the big box retails going up. Now, compare it against the niche players in the, say, the malls or strip centers that have national chains and their small footprint. So there's one or two employees in the store. What they've done is more of a hybrid, I guess, to deter the shrinkage or the shoplifting. They put display models out versus all the inventory out. And so if you want to purchase something, you can look at a display, but that's all you're going to be able to steal. For good customers, it's not a big deal because you can display something, ask for it, and they can go back in the back and get it for you. But it is providing a deterrent to the organized crime or the more brazen people's shoplifting. Now, what the CFOs and executive suites are concerned about and they're measuring right now is, yeah, we shifted from safety to security now in 2022 to be more efficient and decrease those losses, but are they seeing a decrease in sales? And again, that's where cameras, AI, and good accounting data will tell them on a daily basis or a monthly basis, are they gone too far? Have they put too many employees on the floor and now they're not as profitable? Or they locked up the merchandise and they're really seeing a decrease in sales? So that's what they're really weighing on different measures to mitigate the shrinkage and also track it. So Big boxes, answer your question, yes, they're seeing an increase, we're hearing. The smaller square foot stores are not, but they're really putting less merchandise out. So that's obviously why they're seeing a not as great of an increase in shrinkage. I'm curious, and you kind of mentioned the cultural difference in how, let's say, shoplifting or retail shrink is dealt with maybe Europe and Asia versus the United States. But As someone, again, who works in this field, is there an aspect of overall retail security? It doesn't have to be with shoplifting. It can be, again, fire prevention, anything along those lines that might be misunderstood by people, whether it's in the United States or elsewhere in terms of operationally or maybe considerations that should be taken into account. So probably the biggest misconception is the idea of technology as the magic pill or the magic dust that can solve all problems. There's been a ton of technology in the retail sector for shrinkage or losses or security that has been introduced, but really wasn't applicable. In other words, not all new technology is good technology. The C-suites look at technology because they've lived with it on the operational side of it and the inventory side of it, even the front end throughput side of it. And they see technology as just accelerating their businesses. They're, again, decreasing losses, increasing or improving existing processes, getting folks in and out of the store faster, self-checkout. All that is technology that came about and boom, they could implement it. What the C-suite misconception is that security technology can be implemented just as fast. And the reason it can't is because we don't know the problem completely. So you take organized crime, the CVS case. Yes, now we all know black and white what happened. And technologies are coming out to help somewhat prevent that, not stop it altogether. So their misconception is that the technology, any new technology, 
for security wise will stop shrinkage, be it internal, external or inventory immediately. And it's just not the case. The example is the self-checkout is where operations wanted to go. And the reason they couldn't, this is quite a few years ago, let's say five, 10 years ago, because they didn't have the technology to stop the shrinkage at the point of sale. There is AI technology out there today that works with a existing camera system that will prevent that. And that's why you see all of a sudden in the last two years, the Kroger's, Walmart's, all the big box, the grocery stores going to self-checkout. I mean, banks of self-checkout registers because technology was available, but they've been asking for that technology for eight or 10 years. So biggest misconception there is technology is awesome and it's gonna change the way retail is done, but it's for security purposes, it's not quite as fast as other things that the retailers are doing. I love that, some very good points. Important for us not to get out in front of the skis, so to speak, in terms of that technology adoption. Well, once again, Topher Cram, thank you so much for joining us and providing some light on these topics for us and giving us a bit of an update as far as retail security in 2022 today. Brandon, thanks for inviting me to be on, it was a pleasure. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. We thank Topher for joining us. I must admit, I was on the road when we recorded that interview, so didn't have use of the regular mic, but made do, so apologize for the audio conditions on that interview. We did the best with what we could. We appreciated Topher sticking with that. And again, great insights there from Stanley Security and hopefully we'll return to discuss loss prevention in 2023 as kind of an annual recurring segment. Now in our looking ahead segment this week, news came down this past week that the National Grocers Association or the NGA actually wrote a letter supporting several representatives and senators writing a letter to Visa and MasterCard. Basically, this letter was asking that the companies pull back on plans to implement increased swipe fees coming up this year. Now, the swipe fees were supposed to be increased in April 2021. They were postponed by a year because ultimately the country was still kind of recovering from the pandemic. And now the reason given for putting off swipe fees once again is the fact that inflation is hitting some households hard and of course a lot of retailers will pass on costs one way or another for the swipe fees to those that are shopping in the stores and i think this is such an interesting topic because you can look at it a couple of different ways one is of course the swipe fees are what makes the credit card world go around in addition to a few other things of course but The likes of Visa and MasterCard use those to do a number of different things. One is kind of insulate themselves against fraudulent purchases and the like. The other is said to be for research and development. But at the same time, when you look from the retailer's perspective, your hands are tied because you basically have to play the game. There are limited players, of course, in the credit card space. And so there's kind of an oligopoly going on with those credit card companies. And that's something certainly that legislators are looking at. You wonder ultimately where this is all going to head in five or 10 years if legislators are going to take a little bit more of a hands-off approach when it comes to Visa, MasterCard, and the big card companies as it pertains to swipe fees. Take a little bit more of a free market approach saying, hey, go ahead, 
increase those if you see fit or if they're going to be seen as a little bit more of a common carrier maybe a little bit more government scrutiny if you will in that circumstance and obviously retailers have a lot to lose or gain as it pertains to this battle as well particularly smaller retailers larger retailers of course are planning for the swipe fees have those built in but you look at the small mom and pop retailers a lot of whom have to take cards again just to kind of play the retail game there gotta accept all forms of payment or as many forms of payment as necessary but if the swipe fees continue to increase it might send them looking for potentially other options and so you kind of wonder where this landscape is headed again legislators getting involved larger groups like the nrf and the National Grocers Association are trying to get involved as well, having their voices heard. You wonder if they're going to fall on deaf ears ultimately with the likes of Visa and MasterCard or if those fees will go up. And if they do go up, how that will play in a couple of years ahead with some of those smaller retail companies. So lot to look for there as far as payments are concerned and something we've talked about before on the show. Now more than ever, it's necessary for retailers to be able to take every form of payment necessary, but more and more payments coming via cards, especially after the course of pandemic where many showed an aversion to cash. Well, that'll do it for us here on the Retail Focus Podcast. Coming up next week, McKenna Langley will make her debut on the show as we talk to Tom McGee. He is the CEO of ICSC. We'll talk about the upcoming ICSC event in Las Vegas, the biggest event in terms of retail real estate throughout the course of the year. We'll talk about some of the main topics there, and we'll also talk about the current retail landscape and how that's affecting properties, retail properties throughout the U.S. as well. Always insightful when we have Tom on the show, so we look forward to that next week. We'll be uploading on Tuesday of next week as I will once again be on the road through next Monday, so we'll be uploading on Tuesday, May 3rd, so eight days from now, we'll be back with you. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast. <laughs>